ora and welcome. I'm Boris Lamont and this is the New Zealand Wine Podcast. Thanks for listening in to this episode where we're speaking with Paul Pujol, the winemaker of Prophet's Rock in the Bendigo sub-region of Central Otago, New Zealand. You can find out more about Prophet's Rock by going to Prophet's Rock, P-R-O-P-H-E-T-S-R-O-C-K.co.nz. And on the day that we visited, it was a splendid spring Central Otago day with a light dusting of snow around the ranges. So right now, let's go have a chat with Paul. Hello, Paul. Thanks for having us up here on what is a glorious day in Central Otago. No worries. Thanks for coming up. It's, um, it's pretty special. I think um, people will be able to see the pictures that we post up. Um, so, so here we are sitting... Uh, at the top of the uh, vineyard, but how did all this start for you? Where did your journey into wine commence? Um, quite quite a long time ago, um, I did a couple of completely unrelated degrees on the way, um, but was interested in wine. Um, so before I changed direction, I, I did a degree in um, physical education at Otago, specialising in medical exercise prescription and um, outdoor education. So I was coming out to Central Otago quite a lot, uh, raft guiding in the summer, uh, safety kayaking and doing a lot of whitewater boating and skiing out here. And um, was it doing wine appreciation courses and things at the same time, really liked wine. At the end of my degree, decided that... Um, the idea of working um, in adventure tourism wasn't that exciting. The jobs at the medical end of things uh, dried up with the change of government and um, so uh, changed tack and did viticulture and enology at Lincoln. Right, okay. Okay, so, so went, back to, went back to study? Went back to yeah, back to study, but it's interesting when you do hit your, your passion um, in education suddenly it's not really study or work yeah. anymore. Yeah. So I went from straight Bs and Cs and a lot of uh, snowboarding um, to sort of straight A's and distinction yeah, because nice. suddenly it was something you were into. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's uh, good. And so when was that? When, how, when was that? Uh, so that was 99. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was working in my holidays at Cirrus in, uh, in Marlborough. Mm-hmm. Um, mostly in the vineyard, and they took me when I finished my course um, and I worked in the vineyard again and followed the fruit into the winery. Cool. And so how long were you, How long did you spend with Saracen? Um, so in all, I was there for about a year, and they kindly gave me the, the New Zealand winter to go and work the overseas uh, harvest season. So I was I was pretty keen to get experience. So I came up with a a silly plan to try and work five vintages in twelve months, <laughs> um, which is really a game of how many tanks do you want to clean in a year. But um, but anyway, like I said, I was pretty keen. So I finished vintage at Saracen, just sort of March April, uh, went to France. And lined up three vintages in the same year. So I fo- followed the sun, really. I started in the Languedoc-Roussillon in the south, then worked vintage in Chavignol and Sancerre for Henri Bourgeois, who've 
who I'd met in Marlborough that just uh, bought the land that they've got a wee domain on. Um, and that harvest is quite compressed, so that's sort of September. And then went to Alsace, who kicked off last in October. And that was really the focus of the trip, because I was all about discovering the secrets of Alsace aromatic white wines. Um, and then my plan was to work vintage in the Hunter Valley on the way home in January, February. So it would have been five. Yeah. Um, but as luck would have it, I uh, ended up in Alsace at the right time and was offered the head winemaking position uh, in the domain I was working at. Wow. Uh, so ended up staying there for, for three years. Yeah. Um, and I was there first. And that was what you were keen to find out about? That was the sort of area that you were most keen to find out about as well? Yeah, on that trip, I guess... What I was most interested in was cool climate wines, uh, so Pinot Noir and aromatic whites, Chardonnay, um, basically anything that's cool climate, because mm-hmm. um, the viticulture seemed more interesting, the wines seemed a bit more interesting early right. on as well. Yeah. Um, so you worked at Kunzbar in Alsace, I was their first non-family winemaker, um, mm-hmm. they were founded in 1795. Well, that's a while. And they told me I was the first permanent foreign winemaker in Alsace they'd ever been. Um, So, you know, no pressure. Um, (laughs) Quite a few jokes early on um, in the winemaking community about how I was going to make all their Riesling taste like kiwi fruit. (laughs) Um, But I was lucky that my first couple of vintages there were were absolute crackers. Mm. So, you know, actually it was a really nice... Uh, winemaking community to to work in. Oh, cool! Yeah. Oh, cool! That's uh, well, that's a, that was a that was a great opportunity. Um, so yeah, and then um, got picked up for a job in Oregon from there, and worked a couple of years at Lemelson Vineyards in Oregon. I, now I think of it as on the way home. I didn't really know that at the time. Um, so Lemelson's a small organic producer there. Um, and just like Alsace, I was able to sort of control the vineyard and make the wine, and then moved back to New Zealand in two thousand and five. Mm-hmm. So, um, what 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 varietals were you working with in Oregon? Uh, Oregon very much focused on Pinot Noir, but also mm-hmm. Riesling, Pinot Gris, Chardonnay. Okay, yeah. So again, sort of sticking with the cool climate theme, yep. Yep. and came back to New Zealand in the winter of two thousand and five. Um, Pruned a friend's vineyard in Marlborough for them and um, and then came down to check out the the job at Profits Rock. And I remember driving up onto this vineyard, pretty much exactly where we're sitting now, and thinking, oh, yeah, you know, I really want to see what sort of wines this place can make. Yeah, yeah. And uh, been here ever since, 12 years. Right, okay, okay. And so you're doing um, Pinot Noir predominantly? Yeah, so I guess uh, like most producers in the region, we're probably three quarters Pinot Noir, um, then uh, Pinot Gris and and Riesling. Mm-hmm. Um, Are they more recent additions, the Pinot Gris and the Riesling? No, we've no. always made those yep. as well. Yep. And uh, with some plans to plant maybe a couple more Alsace varietals. Right, yeah, yeah. You've got some spots in mind. Yeah, we've got a little bit of land next to the home vineyard um, and we'll look to plant um, some Chardonnay um, and a couple of other Alsace varieties so that I can have the full set 
and um, and a bit more Pinot. Right. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And so, what what have been some of the challenges for for you? Like so, you so what? Sorry, what was it about two thousand and five? You came to Profits Rock. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And so it was already established then. The vineyard. Yeah. yeah. So the vineyards were established. Um, they'd been putting wine out while the vines were young um, under uh, sort of second label Rocky Point uh, since two thousand and three. Um, I guess the challenges and the fun bit was setting everything up from scratch. So when I started, there was no Profits Rock label, winemaking program. Um, some parts of the vineyard hadn't produced any fruit yet. So the opportunity to start something from scratch and make every vintage um, from, you know, of the top wines was um, was pretty exciting. Yep, yep. And did, so did you have a vision then from having worked in France and then in Oregon of what you might want to do here with Pinot Noir did you or was it more about just seeing what the what the land produced and working with that um yeah I guess broadly broadly speaking um I've always tried to make uh, Pinot that reflects the places that it's from rather than a strong winemaking style um but then how you actually do that really depends on the site. I think central Otago is not a, a region or a, or a climate where you can come in with you know strong preconceived ideas and just lay out your plan. I think you'd get sort of slapped back pretty quickly. The nature of the climate is such that you have to be uh, much more responsive and really try and tune in to the season and what the vineyard wants to do and then follow that through in the winery, you know, reflecting the season and what you're doing in the cellar. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, it's taken, it took a few years to really get a good handle on the vineyards. I think every winemaker would be would say the same thing, you know, you try a few things initially and, and then see what works, what doesn't, and sort of fine-tune it over time. I think the wines, the way I'm making the wines... Uh, now is is different to when I first started. That's for sure. Mm, okay, and and you're involved in the process the whole way through, from sort of managing the managing the vines themselves right through to the winemaking. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Mm. So running the vineyard, and um, we're a pretty small crew in the winery. We're we're not making loads of wine, so um, let's see. I have an assistant winemaker who's based in the vineyard, but helps me in the in the cellar over harvest time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And when we were down walking um, through the vines just earlier, you were talking about um, some of that management and, and um, you know some of the um, what do you call it fruiting and and how you think that reflects into the into the style of the of the wine. Um, yeah, I guess in terms of winemaking, um, it's very much based on. A foundation of pretty intensive uh, viticultural sort of management, um, and the the key element of that is low yields. So the yields across our sites uh, are very low. So not many bunches of grapes per vine, um, and I think that's important. Um, at higher crop loads, um, you know, you can make a completely acceptable. Uh, regional style but if you want wines that really reflect where they're grown 
I think that only happens at lower yields. And so controlling how many bunches of grapes the, each vine has is very important, uh, you know, as well as how many shoots and, and, um, and you know, looking after them in terms of cover crops, nutrition. Mm. Mm. Okay. And so you, you've touched on, you know, another couple of varietals that, that you're working with already and, and looking to do as well. Um, how does that sort of, you know, how does that work with the um, the Riesling? What's your sort of view on what you're producing there as far as, um, you know, being a profit rock sort of expression of of Riesling? Oh, okay. I, I think with the wines, um, we probably a feature of our viticulture is we treat everything the same. So the same low yields we apply to our top Pinot Noir apply to the whites as well. Um, and I think that really helps in terms of the concentration and structure that, that those wines have. Um, in the cellar, I'm making them the same as I worked in Alsace. Um, so, um, you know, use of wild fermentation, oh, that's across all the wines. Um, fermenting the whites in, in old barrels rather than stainless. Um, uh, features of the vinification, long aging on lees, um, and also holding, trying to hold the whites back before release. So the Riesling, for example, is at least a year in bottle before release. Right. Okay. Okay. And and again, when we're you know we're looking out on it, um, this stunning vista now, and um, you were explaining a little bit before about um, the geology of the area, and um, I think you said that the furthest back corner is about four hundred meters above sea level. Is that right? Yeah, so the vineyard, we're on the home vineyard as uh, a sort of steep elevated terrace um, up off the valley floor and runs from an elevation of about 320 metres at the bottom of the vineyard up to about 400 at the top, um, which is bro- broadly speaking about as high as, as vineyards go in central Otago. There's a, there's a couple a bit higher than that, but um, it does start to get pretty chilly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and so can that be a bit of a challenge um, with frost and things during the Yeah, I think we're fortunate on our on both our vineyards that they are steep and off the valley floor, so frost isn't so much of a problem. Frost sort of, I guess, behaves a little bit like water. It'll drain to the lowest point. Um, we don't really get affected by frost, um, but it certainly makes the sites a little cooler. You can get you know high temperatures. You're getting great sun during the day. But because of the elevation, the nights are cool. So if you get a, a very cool season, you can end up picking quite late up here. Mm, mm, okay. And you were mentioning earlier too just about the, the um, geology, the soil type and the um, you know, glacial influence quite some time ago. Yeah, so the, the valley that we're in uh, was formed uh, largely by... Um, a sort of succession of of glaciations that came through. Um, one of the bigger ones uh, was the was the sort of uh, first of uh, the sort of modern era, six hundred fifty thousand years ago. So that carved out the terrace that we're on, and as a result of the soils up here being older, the schist rock parent material has been weathered down to clay released calcium and so you've had the formation of petagenic lime so it's a sort of clay chalk soil 
which is um, reasonably unusual and not of maritime sort of origin where most limestone's from um, because it's sort of you know, ocean floor uh, origin. Our other site is uh, actually even steeper um, but because of its location is basically on straight schist rock uh, so yeah really stony. Mm, mm. So this this little area through here is is quite unique in the um, in the soil makeup and, and type. Yeah it's an unusual soil type the clay and pedogenic lime mm. and you just find it in little pockets around the place it needs a dry climate and it's the formation of clay and chalk over time uh, through geologic process rather than um, coming from ocean floor in the case of limestone. Right, yep. And so you mentioned the um, vineyard around the corner. That's Pinot Noir as well, is it? Yeah, so Rocky Point is predominantly Pinot Noir. That's where our Riesling is as well. Uh, That's growing in probably the rockiest part of the whole vineyard. It's basically solid schist rock. Um, So we've just got a little over one hectare of Riesling. So that's sort of the, the baby of the lineup. And that's where most of our Pinot Gris is as well. Mm-hmm. And the the Pinot Noir is that different for you? You can that, like that, that's different to what you're producing here. You sure. Can, so yeah. we um, our two main Pinot Noir labels uh, are both sort of single vineyards. One from here, the home vineyard, and the vineyard on straight schist rock, Rocky Point. Uh, that's its own Pinot. Yeah. Yeah. And, and um, quite different expressions of Pinot as well. Rocky Point. Uh, despite the soils looking really mean and rocky, makes these really vibrant, aromatic pinots okay. held together with a sort of strong mineral finish that stops them becoming sort of overblown and gives them a bit of structure. Yeah. So, yeah, really interesting wines. Um, whereas the wines from the home vineyard on the clay and chalk, a little denser, a little more structured, quite a different tannin profile, and they take a long time to come together. So they take longer in barrel, uh, to integrate, so there's 17 months instead of uh, being bottled before the next vintage, and then they need a year in bottle before release as well. So the winemaking program for the home vineyard pinots so almost three years. Right. Okay. Okay. Yep. And uh, you also mentioned that uh, maybe earlier, the, um, you know, when you're harvesting can run quite late as well, and can vary from the bottom of the vineyard up to the back at the top as to when you do that. Yeah, because both both sides have big elevation changes, um, that really spreads out your picking, which is quite nice. You're not trying to pick everything in you know in a very short space of time. Mm. On Rocky Point, the the block closest to the lake, right at the bottom of the hill, um, can be picked three and a half weeks before the top Pinot block at the top of the same vineyard, um, which is up at about three hundred and twenty meters. Um, so it really spreads things out and you get quite a different profile of wines from the stuff you pick early to the stuff you pick late. So blended together, I think it makes makes that wine you know, yeah. sort of all the more interesting. So in, and before you blend that, you keep that separate so you can sort of see what, what the different sort of you know, profiles are like? Yeah, yeah, so all of our Pinot ferments are quite small. So I ferment each block of each vineyard uh, separately. I think it's the best way to get to know your vineyard. Um, and because we are picking at different times, it means things are a bit more flexible as well. So they're fermented separately, they're in separate barrels, and then we'll bring them together at the end. Mm. Mm. Okay, okay, nice. And um, 
is there anything that you're seeing going on either either locally or maybe something that you've had from offshore or somewhere else, some other region in New Zealand that you that quite excited you as well, apart from what, what you're doing here yourself? Is there sort of something that you've seen going on you've um, in the wine world that has sparked your interest or oh, I think the wine world's always dynamic and there's there are always loads of interesting things going on. I think here in central Otago um, there's some fresh development going on, some new people coming into the region um, and and different sorts of people coming in um, as well. So some interesting um, uh, companies coming in from overseas or from other parts of New Zealand as well as winemakers from other, other places coming in. So... Um, say Ted Lemon, sort of this is a while ago now, coming in from Northern California, from Litterai, starting Burn Cottage here. Um, you know, PJ Charteris, um, a Kiwi but Australian-based winemaker, making his own label here as well. Um, and the collaboration that we've got with Francois Millet, winemaker in Chambol Mousny in Burgundy, making wine on our vineyard. So there's lots of exciting connections uh, happening in the region. I think stylistically there's there's a real fine tuning of everyone's wines, uh, really uh, dialing in their sights. That's been really exciting to see over the last sort of five ten years. Um, mm. And then I guess more broadly, um, things I've seen this year that have been really interesting around the world is um, probably the big one would be Chardonnay, um, both the sort of renewed interest and focus on it here in New Zealand and, and in central Otago, um, but also seeing the rise of Oregon Chardonnay, which was always a little bit sort of left in the corner when I was working there. There's now some spectacular wines coming out of there, some strong uh, Burgundy influence helping that along as well. Uh, winemakers like Dominique Lafont going into Oregon and, and making quite spectacular Chardonnay. Um, and... Um, and the same same can be said for California as well. So it's been an interesting year of um, looking at sort of the new wave of Chardonnay around the place. Right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And um, so you, you think that there could be some more of that? Is it a touch on that happening through Central as well? A bit more. Yeah. There does there does seem to be some renewed interest in terms of plantings with Chardonnay. Um, it definitely grows really well here, which makes sense because Pinot's so successful. Um, and we're, we're planting a little bit, which is um, partly responsible for the my uh, thorough investigation of Chardonnay over the yeah. last 12 months. Yeah. Um, but it really has picked up again. I think a lot of the earlier wineries in central Otago planted Chardonnay, but then the main wave of plantings in the region in terms of hectares, was really in the decade between 2005 and 1995. Um, and that was, I guess, in the market, a bit of a low point for Chardonnay. So that was reflected in what's, what's been planted around the region. So it's mm. only really coming back now, I think. Mm. 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 Okay. And um, we, we'd finish on a, a question of if you could have any, any glass of wine with uh, anyone either living or dead or even not yet existing, um, what what wine would it be and, and who would you like to have that with? Um, okay, living or dead, I can I think of I think of probably two. Um, I'd, I'd like to have 
quite a few glasses of wine with the late Burgundy winemaker Henri Jaya, who's um, you know hugely responsible for the massive rise in, in the quality of Burgundy Pinot Noir um, last century. Mm-hmm. Um, if I was going to share a wine with him while I pick his brains, it might be one of ours, so I can see what <laughs> see what he thinks yeah. <laughs> and kind of steer me. Um, in terms of what I'm doing a little bit. Yeah. Um, and I think it would be interesting to see his, his view on central Otago, actually. So that would be fun. Yeah. Um, and then outside of wine, um, I think the the late um, stand-up comedian Bill Hicks would be, worth, would be worth a chat and a glass of wine. I'm not sure <laughs> what sort of wine he'd be into. I think he's a bit more of a beer man. He was definitely all about... Laying the truth beer, so I don't know, man. That sounds that sounds a little bit like <laughs> <Yeah>. Riesling. <laughs> <laughs> Riesling, yeah, yeah. Okay, well, there's some there's there's some good uh, local craft beers around, aren't there? So you could definitely find one of those. Yeah, mm. yeah. So mm. I think that'd be fun. Mm. Fantastic. Oh, well, that's excellent. Thanks, Paul. I really appreciate that, and thanks for having us um, having us up here. On, um, I don't think you could have anything more more stunning day or more stunning. Uh, vista to look at. No, we laid on the fresh spring yeah, fresh snow spring for you. Snow last night. Um, and yeah, thanks for for coming up the hill. Yeah, perfect. Cheers. Enjoy. We've been speaking with Paul Pujol from Profits Rock in the Bendigo subregion of Central Otago, New Zealand. Now, if you'd like to find out more about them, you can visit Profits Rock. P R O P H E T S R O C K. .co.nz and also be sure to check out some of the other great New Zealand wine podcasts where we talk with other winemakers and vineyard owners and sommeliers and lots of others involved in the wine industry here in New Zealand. Thanks for listening in. Hey, corner mai. Bye for now. <laughs>